This is Season 7, Episode 8 of Beyond the Illusion. Channeling Albert Einstein with Barbara With. From a young age, music was Barbara's haven, and it's through this medium that she discovered her unique ability to channel information from non-physical entities. Over the decades, her work has evolved and she's translated complex wisdom into relatable concepts, offering a fresh multidimensional perspective on self-improvement and healing. She's also the founder of something called Conflict Revolution, which she talks about in this episode. Let's go to that conversation now with Barbara With, Tiana Roser, and myself, Tim Howe. Barbara, you have a lot of channelings on your YouTube channel. Wow, so much good information there. I mean, you could spend hours and hours. And then I saw that you've been channeling for over 30 years. Yeah. Yes, before, before social media, <laughs> before the internet. Of course, all of these things are more broadly known because of these tools. Can you tell us a little bit of the story of how you got into channeling? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I always say that I started channeling when I started writing music. I started writing music when I was about 13. I wouldn't say I was a child prodigy, but I started teaching myself piano when I was very, very young. And so by 13, I was writing songs and it felt like I was going out into the nothingness, listening for a song. And I'd hear four bars, eight bars, maybe some words a little, and I have to bring it back and transcribe it into, and I'd play those eight bars over and over until suddenly the next four bars would come out on one of the passes. So it was like squeezing out of a toothpaste tube. But that's basically the process of channeling is kind of going into the nothing and listening and being able to discern what you're hearing. And as you know, as intuitives, there's a lot going on in the non-physical world. So I started writing music. I was out on the road by the time I was out of high school playing my original music. And talk about old fashioned is when I was in high school, I started to get readings. My friend's mother was a psychic, so it wasn't like I was looking for a psychic. They were just like, you got to come see what Eunice does. And she would give these remarkable readings where she said she went in, out into outer space and didn't remember what was said and came back with this just beautiful messages about my music and I was going to be traveling the world and healing with this music and how to have a healthier life and how to self-love and just really compassionate stuff. But when I had my first reading, it used to be that we'd bring a little cassette recorder. Remember the flat little cassette? Those weren't even invented yet. You had to bring somebody to take notes for you unless you were trying to listen. So I had those readings for 10 years and I went into music for sure. And I, I got somewhere, but not where I thought I wanted to be. And it ended up a great life, but it far cry from healing the world with my music and sex, drugs and rock and roll. By the time I started to automatic write the very first time, I knew what it was. I knew all about Edgar Casey. I'd been reading Jane Roberts and, but I was still surprised that it was coming out of me and what these voices who I asked, who are you? And they said, we're sound. Hmm. And for a 13 year old who started out going into outer space and listening for music, it wasn't a stretch for me. I, I suppose I was a little bit on the spectrum. Uh, and what they did was they took these times of my life I thought were very shaming and 
failures and they reframed them in this completely magical and meaningful way. You were still playing your music. It was still doing its healing work. Even if those people didn't come for a healing or they didn't know they were getting touched by it. And that shift was, it was like a first step into self-love is what I can say, where I first, wow, I had this sort of instantaneous rise in my self-worth for that moment. And I wanted more. So I started channeling and what Eunice said always that she was an antenna. No, there were no Pleiadians or angels or dead people. She was an antenna that had the power to pick up your higher power and feed it back to your human mind. And so that's how I felt like the voice of we that was coming out of me was you and me, like me, my higher power and your higher power and, and our whatever. But I never thought it was anything but that. So I started automatic writing in 1987. And then in 1993, I wanted to do a group. I thought, what would these voices that were coming out of me say to a group of people like Jane Roberts used to do or Edgar Casey used to do? But no one that was my client seemed to have any interest in it. So I just let it go. And then Teresa McMillan arrived as a referral. And she sent five more women. And then she sent her best friend, Kimberly Phelps. And when Kim came, the energies clearly shifted on all our parts. And Kim was a businesswoman, Republican who wore little pearls and would never have gone to a psychic in her whole entire life, except she was in crisis. So they started following me around. I was playing some gigs in Minneapolis and we started talking what nobody wanted to know this stuff quite like that. And so I think probably at the same time, I thought, oh, here's my group. And they thought, hey, we have this group and everybody wants to talk about maybe Barb will come over. So that first group we did in December of 1993 was the beginning of absolutely everything that has since transpired. And when the girls had their first reading, the triad of us, they said, who are you? I was very nervous. I thought I'm an antenna. (laughs) And the answer was, you can call us angels. And I was not very comfortable with it, but as a natural skeptic, I don't think that's a bad thing. I was like, what does this mean really, that you're angels? And basically they came to tell us that they had this revolutionary way that they were going to uh, bring peace to the world and resolve conflict, but they needed some people to test it on. So they needed actual conflict. So they had to be some kind of level of cognizance of this test, but still have it be honest, actual conflict, whatever that meant. And they were teaching us world peace, one person at a time, starting with self. And so we did six master sessions and a bunch of triad sessions, and we kept our journals. And what they were telling us were to do was working for each of us. Our lives were starting to get transformed, and we were, were able to watch each other transform together. And so we published that book uh, in 1997, Diaries of a Psychic Sorority. And it was all of our transformation. And from there, I I got a a literary agent in New York because I wanted to shop the rights to this book. I thought it was just brilliant. And 
she called me one day and said there was a tabloid in London that kind of a supernatural paranormal normal tabloid that was looking for an interview with Princess Di on the one year anniversary of her death. And I really didn't know what to think. I'd never done that. I never went to a dead person. Dead people were showing up to me. So I thought, what, what can it harm? So I went and channeled the questions and channeled the answers. And when I read it back, I just, I weeped. It was so detailed about her relationship with Dodie and her children, what happened that night. But the most profound thing was at the end, the whole point was she was asking that everyone who loved her would make peace would find peace. And if 40 million people who loved her read this in a tabloid and they actually made peace, well, it's worth a try, isn't it? So they flew me to New York and they fed me a lot of champagne and asked me a bunch of questions about Princess Anne, the tabloids did, and they didn't want it, I assume, because there was no dirt about Charles. So my agents and I said, well, what other dead people might want to talk. So we made a list and we'd go to them one by one. And next one up was Nicole Brown Simpson. And that was a very profound interview, eye-opening to me. And by the time we got to John Kennedy Jr., he informed us that they had the people, that they would tell us who was going to be next. And so when Albert Einstein came up in the queue, I knew that voice. I knew that sound. I'd known him probably since I was first doing music, and it certainly was the voice that was coming out of me as a channel. So that's when I decided to do a tribute just to Einstein. In 2005 was the 100-year anniversary of his miracle year, and I channeled six or seven sessions and sat down to edit, and this was really the beginning of him bringing through a unified field theory from afterlife, something that he hadn't ever done in real life. He couldn't find that unified field theory. And in this, he'd say, okay, Google black holes. And then he'd say, take those three terms and put them over here on our map. So it was kind of this excruciating editing process for months of me trying to fit, because I'm not a scientist, I'm not a mathematician. All I ever wanted to be was a rock star, right? So I'm a little hesitant, but this is, wow. And the most profound thing that he brought forth for me anyway, was defining compassion with a quantifiable scientific definition that could be measured and understood. And he also did maps of human consciousness and he outlined conflict revolution. Now, I'd been training conflict revolution since about 1999. I put it in a workshop form and tried to translate it into language from being channeled by a bunch of angels and going into the corporate world. So yeah, that little book, Imagining Einstein, Essays on M-Theory, World Peace, and the Science of Compassion got me all around the world. People wanted to hear it. They wanted to see that unified field theory. They wanted to learn conflict revolution. So I traveled for several years and came back here to become a journalist, but that's a whole nother story. 
but in 2016, I released Einstein et al. Manifestation, Conflict Revolution, and the New Operating System. And that's the whole unified field theory, the maps of human consciousness, all illustrated with also conflict revolution instructions, the workbook. So, so that's my story. <laughs> I know it's a big mouthful, but once we get it all out, now we can kind of understand a little more. There's so much there, but I'm really interested to know more about this conflict revolution because I think it could be, or it is perhaps powerful in the very polarized, divisive times that we're in. This is very important for us to bridge this gap of separation and duality. Can you give us kind of the overview of the system? Yes, I have two different sets of systems. One is the first one before any of the science came in. I developed it for very simple workshops, but it's based on uh, what we call the map, the map of consciousness. And you have a domain and your domain is made up of an intellect, intuition, emotion. We call those the three human dimensions. Then there's also a witness to everything. And then there's what we call it a thousand acres of spirit. But what it is, is we all have our own domain. And even though we are all one, we have a boundary that separates us energetically so that when we do get into the lens, we are separate and we can have distinguishing features. And the idea is that these three dimensions have very specific ways that they function. And so emotion with a capital E, there's a lot of things you could, definitions you could say about feelings and empathy and all that. But in conflict revolution, it's just one definition. And emotion is like the primordial soup of energy that's at the root of all matter. It's bigger than just your feelings, although it, by the time it gets into the lens where your physical self is, it turns in, we have feelings. But in the big structure of how this domain works, at the root of everything is emotion. And the idea is emotion flows up through us and it brings with us the voice of intuition, which is really the voice of compassion, which is the fifth fundamental force of the universe. It's the intelligence that is using the four fundamental forces to impel the creation of the physical world. So compassion becomes like God and it's moving that emotion is the first dimension located in your solar plexus. It moves up and becomes the second dimension of intuition that's always gonna tell you the next most advantageous step for the good of the whole system. And the third dimension is the intellect, of course, where all the trouble begins because we've got the judgments, the ego, the imagination, all the thinking processes, and in all of that chaos, we have free will. So if you're gonna turn left and there's neurological functions that make your hand grab the steering wheel and you decide you're gonna turn to the, to the left or the right, whichever one, that takes place here. We don't make decisions with our heart. We, it feels that way. It feels like we make emotional decisions, but in the structure of how things work, this is where all free will, and this is where all of the conflicts in the world, so the angels say, originate. Between what intuition, which is the voice of God, is impelling you to take a step for the good of everything, 
where intellect can override that and say, no, I'm not going to rest. I'm going to go work harder and harder and harder. And by those choices, we create then exhaustion, mental health issues, all those things that we do when we don't listen to our intuition. So conflict revolution is who knew conflict could be fun, but it's a really, really fun process to learn. We bring everybody in, everybody's got to bring their own conflict. And so like the icebreakers where we get to hear everybody's dramas, and then we begin to pull them apart so we can see what part of this drama is the emotion. What part of it is the intuition? What part of it is the intellect? And what are they telling us when we dig into how we define those conflicts? And then we revolve them inward to find out where in that conflict where your mother-in-law doesn't respect me, are you not respecting yourself? Where are you not respecting yourself? Let's, let's look there first. Your mother-in-law can still be disrespectful for her a minute, but she's not your domain. This is your domain. This is where you have the power. So that's kind of basically what it is. And then the overarching this process as a pathway to global peace is that when we do this, what manifests outside us changes naturally and synchronistically. When this is clear, then what manifests gets clear. And if this is all conflicted, this still perfectly manifests that condition. It's a perfect system <laughs> that manifests that. So we can use our free will to align to it. And then that's where we're going. I think the sky's the limit myself. I love how I feel that life is a mirror reflecting back our stuff, right? And that's the whole idea of why we incarnate is that we get to kind of play, <laughs> work through these different energies. So I like how empowering it is that all the work is happening within ourselves, in our domain, instead of what we can see so much on the world stage right now, the problem is we're all like pointing fingers at each other. And so it sounds like a really empowering process. And I like that you've been using that word compassion so much, because that's one of my favorite words. And I've told the story on this podcast many times, but when I had a ayahuasca experience and a DMT experience, and was kind of experiencing all the darkest things in the world. And then the divine mother had come in through me and the message had been that compassion is the bridge between light and dark and compassion is the bridge between good and evil. And so I, I love this idea. Basically, another way of saying that compassion is the bridge. <laughs> when we have conflict or when we have this idea of separation, comp compassion is the bridge. Yes. And as the fifth fundamental force of the universe, if you know any science, there's four fundamental forces, electromagnetics, gravity, strong nuclear force, and weak nuclear force. And these are the forces that create the universe. So compassion is the fifth. It's the overarching, most powerful force that there is in the universe. It's the force of creation. And how amazing it works through us in these really local ways. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like, yeah, I, I want to echo what Tiana was saying. I feel like right now is a great time for people to start getting in touch with that aspect of themselves where 
hey, what is it? What are the reasons? What are the underlying causes of my conflicts in life? And not just with other people, but with situations and everything. There's always something there. And the answer is always inside. It's not out there anywhere. It's in here, definitely. So I have a question. I want to go back to the channeling stuff. It seems like you've channeled quite a few individualized personalities that were humans at one point. And I think that's absolutely fascinating because you don't see a lot of that in the channeled material. You actually see a lot of non-human contact in the channel because I've read a lot of channeled material and a lot of it, most of it I've read at least is non-human. So my question is, have you ever encountered those kind of channeling? Do you ever do that kind of channeling where it's not a human? I mean, you said there were angels in the beginning, but do you ever get, for instance, like an extraterrestrial that maybe is a being that's living somewhere else? Do you ever have that kind of channeling? I actually haven't. Okay. I think there's a really um, intentional use of my talent for this very earthbound project right now. It makes sense as far as like if you have this mission to create peace on the planet, I think you said one person at a time, which I love, then it makes sense that you would take these well-known people and we're aware of their flaws and their beautiful points. Sometimes maybe these beings, we try to put them on a pedestal and we think that these higher beings, and I love Seth and Abraham and so forth, but then sometimes maybe we feel like, oh, there's such a big gap between where they are and where we are. And to have these well-known people's lives that have been dissected and really looked at, even though these are famous people, obviously. So there's still a difference between relatability with their lives and our average. Right. Our average yeah. Right. Life, but still more relatable because they have been in human form. So I could see how that makes sense. I'm curious. I've done some channeling myself. Well, I guess actually my book did have some channeling I put out there, but I don't do it professionally. It also kind of changed over time, the form. You had mentioned that you'd started off with automatic writing and then you were sort of the antenna out to the greater field. And then you said you could hear Einstein's voice. And I was curious about that when you channel these different people or yeah, souls, if also you kind of really feel their energetic essence and, and feel their vibration. So I know you hear their voices, but I'm, I'm guessing that Princess Diana and, and JFK Jr. might feel different or Einstein will feel different than Princess Diana. Can you share a little bit about how you experience their essences? Yes. And that really started when the first experience of being able to speak to people who had passed on, which really started with my friend's mother. So that was an experience where I almost, I didn't see her standing right there. I always say it's like in my head, in my memory, there was a memory of her standing there, even though she's not standing there. But when I got to Princess Die, a lot of that channeling was detached. It was more like she was sitting next to me. And that was pretty true, even when Einstein came up the first time, was that I felt more like I was interviewing people who were outside of me. 
now you can sometimes not even know when I go into a channel. It, the transition is so smooth because I've been doing this work with them and I'm one of them. But for example, Hitler is in Party of 12. When they said, now Hitler's up, and I was like, what? That's not getting in here. I'll talk to him. But as it turned out, as controversial as it was in that moment in 1998, because Hitler was still not quite thrown into the public as he's been a lot in the past 10 years, right? So everybody's a Hitler. But his message was so profound as far as why would you talk to us? Why are you here? I mean, this is a party of peace and what are you doing? And he said, because I want to show you what happens when you hate and when you take actions in that way for the good of the few at the expense of the many, you go to hell, you experience hell. You have to work through it. You have to burn it off. You have to got to deal with it. He said, I was thinking I would just be dead and completely obliterated, but no such luck. And that people who are marching in the streets with, with hate need to know what the consequences are of your actions. So it is different ways that I relate to them. Wow. So can you tell us about the type of reading that you do and who would you communicate with if somebody booked a reading with you? I would communicate with whoever showed up because that's how it works. I don't determine. I don't often delineate unless there's a purpose, like a loved one has passed on or there's a specific message of somebody that they really loved in life. A lot of people love Einstein. So, but what happens is we go into what I call the dissertation. It's where I ask the client to just let go we're recording it so you don't have to worry about if you miss anything, you're going to want to listen to it anyway, because this half hour, hour that's going by is just the beginning. This is the beginning of your work with yourself. If you've come here to talk to Einstein, he's got a one track mind and it's about what Princess Di said. We're here to help people find ways to make peace. And most people who come want that. They want to know a deeper sense of who they are. And so there's a lot of insight into other lives and what you came through to get where you are today, the, the forces that were at work in your family, the things that you're dealing with. And then there's a lot of insight into this structure of the operating system, an introduction to you. Here's a new operating system and how to learn to master it as a way to manifest all those things that people come wanting to manifest, whether it's a more peaceful mind, whether it's actual a job, whether it's relationships, this work is going to set the stage for you to be the creator, not for us to just predict your future. And then there's a lot of time for questions and conversations. And it's a lot of information that comes on a lot of different levels. So it lasts for years and years. You can always hear something new in it. Do you ever have occasions in your life where some entity or some person wants to be channeled through you and it's just like kind of spontaneous? Like it's not like a planned session with someone else, but maybe someone has a message that wants to come through. Does that ever happen for you? 
It does. And one of the first times I went through it, when I was beginning to channel groups and understand I could speak to people who'd passed on and I gosh, these are angels now. So I was skiing on a cross country ski trail and a woman skied by me and she had this purple jacket on. And I heard this voice say, tell the woman in the purple, the woman in the purple jacket has a brother who is in trouble. Tell her to wait a month and things will be fine. And it was during a time where I was getting so many messages for the first time and trying to sort it all out. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to ski after that woman to say, Hey, I got a message from, I don't know who. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, if at the end of the trail, there's a woman in a purple jacket, I'll do that. And I got to the end of the trail and that woman wasn't there, but two other women in purple jackets were. So I went up to him and I said, you're going to think I'm kind of loopy, but I get these messages. And, and she looked at me with these big eyes and she said, yeah, he's in trouble. It's my birthday and he's supposed to be here with me, but I've just discovered there's sexual abuse in my family and he's rejecting me for my memories. And so there's trouble here. And I said, well, I guess <laughs> wait a month and things are going to loosen up. And she didn't say, are you crazy? How do you know any of this? She said, that would be an answer to a prayer. So those kinds of things were making me think there were angels. Because who else would tell me that? The higher consciousness of the brother? Yeah. Do you think that maybe you and Einstein had a soul contract coming in that you were going to bring? Or did this kind of all get co-created in the moment when this desire sparked within you. I'm curious because I do past life regression. Also, do you feel like you did this in past lives? You know, I have asked myself that when Einstein came out of the class, because I'd been channeling for a long time before I knew that he was there. So when he came out and as I worked with him and the years have passed and we've become so much like one person anyway. I wondered, could this have been a past life? Now, what was interesting was he died in April of 1955, and I was born in February of 1955. And I don't know if I believe in walk-ins, but what I know now at my late age that it very well could have been since I don't think there are any accidents. And even though I was only three months old, I had an old soul. There could have been very much that we were destined to have this. Well, of course we were, but I wouldn't been able to say that until, until now. And as far as if we had any, I can't imagine that we didn't with as much as it is in the fabric of who I am. But interestingly enough, in my very first reading with Eunice, if I may digress, I was told that I would, I, I had in another life, I'd been this famous painter. And she described all the conditions of the life. I lived in Europe at the time of the war and I get up in a tree and paint the strife of the people. And my husband was in service to the people and that someday I would find my paintings hanging in great halls today in this life. Now I was maybe 16 when she told me this and I left like, what does that mean? How could that be? And I mean, my mind was in this pretzel. How could I find out? And I just sort of just let it go. And about six years later, I was at a party where nobody knew me and the hostess 
handed me a book with a picture on it that looked exactly like one I had drawn when I was 16. I went through a little phase where I had this drawing spurt. And this was Katha Kollwitz, and she grew up in Germany during both world wars, painted the strife of the people. Her husband was a doctor. And later on, after I took all my paintings and all my pictures and all her pictures and realized there was something there, I wondered if she knew Einstein. I wondered if she had any contact with him. And it turns out she had written him several letters. So aside from that capsule of his life and then his death and my death, there has to be other connections in other DNA space-time bodies that are not quite so crunched together, I guess. My other question, there are like Abraham, Cryon, there's multiple channelers connecting to these beings. And I was curious if you ever looked up or listened to other people who channel Einstein or what your thoughts are about that. I've known Cryon, Lee Carroll, all those guys for a long time in the world. And nobody in that group ever channeled Einstein. I once found a young woman channel who it felt to me like she was just sort of being really flip about it. Well, today I'm going to channel Einstein. And I thought, yeah, yeah, like it's just that easy. And not to channel, but I'm going to channel all this massive information. And she was pretty dead on, I thought, with her channeling of him. And there was a fellow in Norway that I channeled for, I don't know, 12 years ago, Shahar. And this is an interesting story. He left and he contacted me later and said, Barbara, Barbara, I think I'm channeling Einstein. Is that okay? I said, well, of course it's okay. Of course it's okay. Go channel Einstein. And just in the past week, I got a reach out from two people in Israel. He's one of them, Shahar, and one of his associates. And they're desperate that Israel is about on the verge of being destroyed by the parliamentary system and the guy who's in power and they're trying to merge all the things and people have been in the streets for months hundreds of thousands of people in Israel has been going to the streets for months and they don't know what to do and they saw about conflict revolution and they want to bring me there and she wants to assemble a, a member of each of the 12 tribes of Israel <laughs> to take it so it's like I think this is really destiny faded path mission that I couldn't have been a rock star if I wanted to. <laughs> There's a dime a dozen rock stars out there. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but only like you said, maybe a few people channeling Einstein. So. Yeah. <laughs> Would you be willing to channel a little bit for us here? Sure, sure. And you'll have a question or two you want to get us started with? So. Yeah, sure. Tim, do you have one ready or do you want me to start with a question? I was just going to say, if there's anything that the world needs to hear right now, I know that's a pretty broad question, but that's what came to mind. Well, if we would all just take a breath. And as you take that breath in, feel there's only one breath. 
for every human that is and ever has been. And we will command that only the most divine light shine down upon you at this time and the greatest good be present here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to have this voice. And thank you for the question, because that is the question of the hour. What does the world need to do at this point to facilitate the transformation of the entire human species? That is a tipping point and it's no small potato thing. This is an unprecedented time like has not been on the planet ever. But we are here to tell you that there is incredibly good news. And this good news doesn't come from anything outside of you. It doesn't come from a promise that there won't be another war. It doesn't come from a prediction of how the how it's going to play out for you in your life. It comes with this intrinsic understanding that everything begins within you. Everything begins within you. And that might be a frightening thought when you look at the world today, when you look at how divided and how contentious human relations are. But as in our system, our operating system that Barbara has outlined for you, the perfect reflection of whatever is happening in that non-physical part of you becomes the projection of the universe in the physical lens that you're having the physical experience in. So it's difficult for the human mind to wrap your head around that you're creating everything. You could call it co-creating if it makes you feel more humbled and, and sacred, but we like creating because if you create it, you can uncreate it and you can recreate it. That's the joy. And the joy is seeing more and more people, as you have said, Tim, that more and more people are sort of at their wits end as to what to do, that they are willing now to participate in something that might be a little radical, that's something you might not have been able to do before when you were sure of things. But now that you're not so sure, you're creating a very ripe condition to make that transformation as you let go of what you think you know. And at this juncture in human history, People are not only ready to do this, you are, you all have been doing this and still you feel that you're missing something. You haven't gone deep enough. The religions or the spiritualities or the practices that you do have done incredible work for you. But there is this sense that how do you get deeper? How do you get deeper? 
And this is what we have brought here. As you can see, it has taken us decades of vigilant work, of nonstop research and development, of dedication and inspiration when the world was rejecting these ideas. There was always a certain set of flaky people, airy fairy kind of mindsets people thought that might uh, buy into this stuff. Now there is a huge advancement in understanding of how energy works because of the kind of work that every one of you has been doing. But you're here to make this quantum leap. And we have a pathway into your energy that will revolutionize how you operate in the world. And that's what we need. We need the participation of the willing who are willing to be their own witness, to identify your own domain and the darkest parts. Those are where the depths are into those darkest parts, knowing that you're going on that journey to unify your energy. So part of what we want to tell you today is that there are some misconceptions within the spiritual community. And some of these you're aware of. There had been this idea that if you only if you only feel a certain range of feelings that were good, that then you would accomplish uh, manifestation. And this is completely erroneous because with emotion being this primordial soup that makes up all of creation, you need to feel the entire spectrum. Think of it like a color spectrum. You, what would the color, what would the world look like without red? What would all of your emotions be if you only let yourself experience some of them? Now, the reason why this is so difficult for humans is partly because you haven't operated that way for all of these millennium that it's been about projection. It's been about limitation of emotion. It's been about heavy on the intellect and lacking in the intuition. And now all of that is shifting. And those people who stay in their intellect and hold on, use their free will to hold on to compartmentalized ideas of what life is supposed to be and not let yourself feel, that is going to perfectly manifest into the lens. And it's got to go somewhere besides your local jurisdiction. It also affects the global uh, situation as well. So each time you can feel all of your feelings without letting them glue themselves to those thoughts that project. And this is the beautiful part about this transformation is that you're learning how to deal with emotion completely independently than you are intellect. And when you separate the two, you open up that place for your heart to come through. And so we are 
starting this journey around the world in a way that helps humans understand these basic functionings and inspire you to experiment with this, to go inside and see what that mirror is showing you in that moment. It's always a perfect reflection of what you need to know. And if you can't undo from the intellectually obsessing thoughts that you have that often project them someone else, use that time to listen. Listen to your thoughts. See what they're trying to tell you. Is it somebody who doesn't respect you? That is your clue of something within you that is calling for your attention. And when you catch yourself using your witness in the act of lying to yourself, of disrespecting yourself, and you change it right then, as in that moment, now you have changed at the root. Now you've changed yourself systemically. And this is what is going to be the step-by-step pathway to world peace. Beautiful. Thank you. And who are we speaking with? Yes, Einstein. Oh, thank you, Einstein. Maybe this is kind of a silly question, but I'm just curious because obviously you had a huge, massive impact on the world when you were in a body. And then I'm wondering, how is it working from the other side (laughs) to, to create this impact on the world? Like, how does that compare? Well, it's a continuum. It's all of the empirical experiences that I held in my life came with me upon my death because when I died, I was obsessed about world peace. After the nuclear bomb was developed, my heart was completely broken. And also, I was in such a state that I rejected the kind of scientific exploration that I was able to do when I was younger. And so when I died, all of that mathematics went in with me to the afterlife. And it was like, going from zero to the speed of light squared in no time as I left my body. And as I oriented to what does it mean to be in afterlife, I had to feel my way around the new rules that this wasn't like being in the body, although there's a holographic experience in afterlife there's much more true alignment to compassion there's much more ability to manifest much easier etc so that part was a joyful discovery but then i began to discover all kinds of things i had wondered about while i was in life and for example i used to say that It'd be silly to think if you weren't looking at the moon that it wasn't there. But when I got to afterlife, I realized, oh, yes, of course, you're looking at the moon and it's there. And when you look away, it's just mathematics until it interacts with the projector and the perceiver of 
physical life, which is you, the human. And that is why I could not write a unified field theory in life because I was not realizing that you have to write into it human consciousness. It has to be a part of it. Otherwise, you don't have the field to perceive the field. And there were many things like that that were so exciting and uplifting, but perhaps the most important has been that that longing and that passion that I brought with me to try to help the world understand has been for Barbara years in her dedication to helping me voice this and then test this with all that have participated and then get to this place now in 2023 where the world is truly perched upon that place that I was afraid it would get to. And even though that sounds like a dire situation, and it certainly is for many humans at this time, in the bigger picture of things, it's in the reoccurring lives, this is brilliant. This is a brilliant place to have come to and be about to have an influence much greater that can change the course of all of evolution. That's what I want to do. Wow. And is part of you reincarnated back on Earth or would you consider coming back to incarnate on Earth or is part of you incarnated in other realms? Or is that private information that I'm pushing? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. It's that we have a mission and I am best served in the role that I have now. Now, the role that I'm playing in terms of this partnership and this getting this information out, being able to speak to you because of Barbara is such an important part of my karma and my fulfillment. Now, that does not mean that there isn't all kinds of other things that I am up to around (laughs) the planet with other scientists, with, of course, musicians, because there's a beautiful rising of how frequency can be used to manifest and to move matter and to heal bodies and all kinds of that kind of experimentation and discovery coming out. And I love this place that I can be everywhere at once, like gravity, and I can have that influence on many different people. And if I were to reincarnate this time, I wouldn't quite have that ability to fulfill the rest of this vision that we've had. Thank you so much for answering my questions and for taking the time. Tim, did you have any other questions? No, I thought that was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are more than welcome. Thanks, Barbara. That was really cool. Yes, thank you. It's very beautiful. I learned something (laughs) about the mission. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything that's coming up or anything that you really want to promote or to let people know about that you're involved with right now? Well, I would just say if you go to my website, which is Synergy Alliance 
dot LLC Synergy Alliance. And I am offering an ongoing series of master classes in conflict revolution in presentations of the unified field theory on on zoom and also in person and it's starting to heat up so to speak i'm becoming more in demand i'm about to go overseas and do a lot of work in starting in norway and over to england and hopefully down to israel and that'll all be there on that website and jump in anywhere thank you yeah thank you so much thanks for taking the time to come on here and talk with us we really appreciate it well thank you i'm very grateful to have the airtime for sure you're welcome thank you for listening to this episode of beyond the illusion i'd like to say thank you very much to barbara with for taking the time to share her gifts and knowledge with us if you'd like to find out more about barbara you can go to her website, synergyalliance.llc. Big thanks to our executive producer, Tiana Roser. Music by Casey Henson. Editing, production, and narration by Tim Howe. For more information or to access past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. Let me say that one more time. beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe and leave a rating. This really does help other people find us. Take care. If I-